pleasing customers it's the best feeling like we can't please everyone unfortunately but you know um we we are very happy with what we're doing and we just keep keep going you know and keep striding like i said the day that i'm not enjoying this anymore you you'll um you and i will be inside in having a beer this is the crackling i'm anthony huckstep There are many restaurants renowned for a signature dish. Some chefs see it as a blessing for repeat business, others see it as a curse of repetition. But few share the same word of mouth folklore as Giovanni Pilu's suckling pig dish at his award-winning restaurant, Pilu. Giovanni, how are you? Good, how are you, Anthony? Great to be here, as always. <laughs> it's great to get you on the show. Always love the yarns that you have to share. Uh, the suckling pig dish, have you ever tried to take it off the menu? <laughs> I love to shut the restaurant down. <laughs> ah, it's impossible, man. It, it really is. I mean, you know, it, it's it's. I think you mentioned it, it's crazy. Like, I, I really don't like to call it a signature dish because, you know, it's it's the most popular dish. That's that's what I say always. You know, it's not fair for all the other f- poor dishes to go. Oh. What about me? You know, <laughs> like, um, but yeah, I mean, we we are you know so renowned for you know our suckling pig and some of the other staples from Sardinia, you know, and th- and I think that's the way, I think that's the way restaurants should be, you know, that you go because of a speciality that they do, and you know, you keep going back to it because you want to eat that that dish or what they specialize in, and that's why. It's so great to have so many different restaurants because then wherever you go, you know, it's different and, and, and you go back for it. Like, you know, if I go to Ormeggio, I know I'm going to eat fish. That's it. And, and, and you know, if I go to, you know, uh, Lenex, I know that I'm going to have the best meat in, you know, charred, charred meat in, 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 in Australia kind of thing, you know. So, um, yeah. Um, yeah. It, it is a challenge of the restaurants, isn't it? Like it's hard going to Pilu and you want to have the suckling pig, but you know there's so much joy also on the menu in other other dishes. But t- t- take us through that suckling pig dish. Like h- how, do you, how do you cook it? Oh, man. I have to kill everyone then. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't give away all the secrets. <laughs> uh, no, look, I mean, r- roasting pork, you know, you, you know how it is. You got to... The, the two main things are you want the meat to be juicy and the skin to be crackling, right? That is what you want to achieve in any pork roast you do with the skin on. Um, and that's what we strive for, you know. And in all these years, we worked constantly on perfecting it and getting it better. And then, you know, obviously the product that you get sometimes changes, especially like, you know, uh, small pigs are affected by so many different, um, you know, like the fa- the fa- farming. You know, it's difficult. So you know, they get droughts, they get uh, heat, they get too much rain. So that changes, and that means that we need to adjust to it. Which is like it's it's an ongoing process that we need to just keep an eye on. You know, but literally, like you know, we slow roast at first. So you know, for about depending on size, you know give or take about three to three and a half hours on a low temperature and we put a little bit of moisture in the oven because now you know combi ovens have got you know um a mode that you can have dry roast plus a little bit of humidity so we just let's say that you know we cook it with 
90% dry roast and 10% humidity, so it keeps the meat, like I say, nice and moist. Then when we do that, we make sure that we cut, because the pigs are split in a half, so we cover the skin in salt with a little bit of oil so it sticks to it at the point that you can't see the skin anymore. That's how it is. So you have, you have to just fully cover it. Just in cooking, fine salt, right? And then um, once you do that, you take we take it out and we then let it rest for like 10 minutes so we can handle it and then um, shake all the salt off and wipe it with a, with a cloth, damp cloth that it's fully, you know, the salt has to be fully uh, wiped off. And then at that point, that is the first part of the cooking done. Then from then on, you need to just put it back in to make sure that the skin now crisps up, right? So then the oven now, you want it with no humidity, very dry and very hot because that is what makes the skin crackle or crisp up in a way, you know? Uh, we don't score it, obviously, because the skin is so thin. It's not like a big, you know, belly that you got a thick skin, you got to score it so all the moisture comes out. Um, and then we section it off. And over the years, we've changed even that. You know, we used to cut it um, bone in and serve it. Um, we, we did it, you know, that we, we did bigger pieces divided by two. Then we made it smaller per person. And now we fully debone the pig so that you get the nice piece with no bones. Because, you know, like in, in a fine dining environment, I mean, if you go to an agriturismo in Sardinia, they chop it up, put it on a cork tray and comes out with myrtle leaves on top and then you just dig in, which is perfect. But when you are sitting in a fine dining restaurant, I think it's nice that you, you know, you do nearly all the work for the customer and then it's, it's easy, like ready to eat, you know, with, it, with whatever garnish you, we serve it with. We change the garnish, you know, as, as the season change. At the moment we got Pinsimonio, which is very fresh for, you know, summer and all that. But um, we're already thinking about changing it now for, you know, autumn. Maybe use, you know, I don't know, something else, plums or apples. I don't know. Let's talk about the, the food of Sardinia. It's an island, but it's it's not as reliant on seafood as, as people might think. Not until about, I mean, it, you know, and, and when you say 150 years ago, it sounds like, you know, it's not a long time ago, you know what I mean? Because Sardinia is a very old island. So um, until then, um, the diet of Sardinians was like 90% meat and cheese and pasta. Because being an island, it's dangerous to live on the coast because you get invaded, right, and colonized by so many, you know, different cultures like Sardinia did and a lot of other islands um, are. So the best place to hide was, you know, up in the hills and in the mountains. And obviously you are far away from the coast, so there is no fish. Um, you can't have access to fish. And only in the, like I said, in the last 100 and say 50 years, um, you know, that Sardinia has become, you know, quite a, like a, a seafood, you know, destination. But still though, in the hills and the, and the, well, I say the real Sardinians, like, you know, if you are a tourist, you are on the coast, you know, in the resorts and you eat lots of fish and seafood, which is great. But if you are a Sardinian that lives up on the hills, like my parents, and not far away from the coast, only like maybe 20 k's up, it's, we, I started eating fish when I was 18 or something like that. Yeah, I, I, I didn't know 
how to even f- like you know eat a fish with the bones and we ate we ate maybe mussels occasionally uh, we ate um, um, calamari some octopus um, we used to go and catch some eels in the creeks and we used to do them on the charcoal but that's about it you know like there wasn't you know you don't go and go you know, I can never remember my parents going oh let's go and have some seafood you know it was always mostly meat you know pork uh, lamb uh, goat my father you know like and and obviously wild boar because wild boar is such a big thing you know like the sardinians love hunting especially where we come from it's one of the highlights of the year for you know a lot of people just to go hunting for wild boars i had my gun license before i had my driver's license <laughs> to go hunting my father was so proud you know like i was 18 and one day gun license we're going hunting you know and um yeah, yeah it's pretty it's pretty cool so yeah i mean that that's it you know well, tell us a little bit about um the pigs and wild boars and the sort of dishes that you experienced as a kid with that yeah look i mean the the, the one that you know, I remember the most, and I loved it so much. And now is, you know, obviously we haven't done it yet since we came to Australia because it's almost like illegal, I guess, to you know kill kill your own pork in the backyard. <laughs> um, but you know that was like so cool. You know, twice a year with you know obviously my grandfather when he was alive, and then all my uncles and aunties. Um, we you know we did the group um, breed the pork you know the big pig and then it becomes you know like a celebration of three days Friday Saturday and Sunday so you know you slaughter the pig and then and these things are like you know man 160 kilos maybe 200 kilos so they're big remember catching this thing and then you got to tie the mouth with a wire because otherwise it can bite you and freaking take your hand off so you have to grab it three or four you know my uncles and my grandfather is a strong guy you know, my father, they grab this pig and somehow close it, close his mouth and then tie it with a, with a uh, steel wire so it wouldn't butt you because you had to then put it up upside down, hang it, then you stab it. So you get, so the first thing that you collect is the blood. And then from there, you know, my aunties made um, blood pudding and there was, you know, the lunch on the Saturday or something like that because then the intestines and the interiors were taken out and then, you know, the, the intestines were just like washed in the running water in the creek that we had next to our house. And then, um, um, you know, you start then Saturday, it's a big day because then you start um, sectioning off all the pig for, you know, maybe two prosciuttos. Then you did the pancetta, the capocola and all that. And then all the other meat, obviously, there was the sausage making, right? And then was Sunday. So three days of this. And it was brilliant. And then every day you ate something from the pork. So you did the blood pudding, then maybe a rice with um, bits of meat, which is called pulpeda, which is the meat with the fat. But it's not risotto, though. It's a, dry, it's a drier rice with tomato and pork meat. So it's not like a, a you know risotto that Alessandro would make, you know, with butter and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then, you know, like things that you wouldn't use to either preserve or make sausages, that was like what you ate, you know, three days basically. I mean, that was, that, that I loved some, it was a celebration. It was just brilliant. Loved it. 
Yeah. How important was that sort of three-day breaking down the pig process for family and connection and community? Oh, massive, mate. That was it. That was the the sausages for, you know, um, three or four months for the family. And, you know, um, whatever you got out of it, the prosciuttos, I mean, a cup of cola, my uncle made, my uncle made this dish called, which is a terrine really, but it, we called it testa in cassetta, which is the head in a box, basically. So all the head was, you know, because you boiled it and then you took all the bits out and then he pressed it into a little box. And there was, you know, then I, you know, you eat that like a, like a terrine really, you know. So they were, as you know, you know, pig, you eat everything, right? And that was it. That was a must that you had to use absolutely every single thing. As kids, you know what we had? The first thing that we had was you couldn't wait for because it was so big that you couldn't, it couldn't, um, to, for the fair to like, to get rid of the fair, you can either use boiling water or uh, you burn it with a big, like, you know, a torch, like massive torch, right? You burn all the fair and they used to burn the tip of the ears, and as the kids, we used, they used to cut the tip of the ear and give it to you, and you used to chew on it. That was the first thing we ate. <laughs> it's like insane. <laughs> uh, it was too good, man. The pig hasn't washed his ears all his life, and there we are eating pig's ears. <laughs> and it was, it was so cool. Like, you know, things that you, obviously you never forget as a kid, but we loved it so much. Like, And it was like a race to see who is going to get the first little tip of the year, you know, that it was lightly, lightly roasted with a torch and then you just chewed on it, you know. It was just uh, insane. What's the, what's the sense of obligation that you have to traditional recipes? You know, recipes passed down in family from the town that you grew up in or Sardinia. Is, is, do you have an obligation to sort of honour recipes or what, what does it feel like for you? Yeah, look, I think, and especially... I always say, like, you know, I always felt that being away from Sardinia, I had to kind of, you know, really try to keep the tradition going of my homeland if I was away from it, you know. You almost feel a little bit more, you feel it more inside that you want to really do the right thing by it, you know. So any recipe that it's a traditional recipe, because, you know, cuisine evolves, right? So you can change things and you can actually make them better because not all the traditional recipes were great made at home some of them were freaking you know unedible bloody thing just like really you made this you know like you can cook meat in a different way and you can make it tender or that kind of thing you know but yeah look you know any anything we did other restaurants especially in uh, over the years you know from Calaluna days or you know pillow fresh water now coming up to 20 years Always try to, and I was lucky enough to have guys like Federico, which is uh, our uh, was our head chef, and now he's more executive. So he's you know a little bit like working with me and Marilyn, and um, we you know we always try to keep that kind of tradition for certain recipes. Like if we did Catalana, if we did you know the Seadas, if we did all this thing like Zuppa Galurese, all the staples from you know Sardinia and where we came from or not in the island, just to make sure that we don't change them too much. I mean, who are we really, you know, to go, oh, you know, I'm just going to change this because of the sake of it. No. Okay, you can improve it, make it better, but you always have to keep in mind that these dishes have been made for such a long time and it's not fair that, you know, I'm going to go and, you know, like change it so much that, you know, it's not the dish anymore. You know what I mean? 
And I know that this comes up so much in conversation. It's almost like a cliche. But, you know, like the carbonara, let's say, right? Why would you change it? Why would you want to put, you know, um, I don't know, onions in it or you want to put, you know, uh, something else to make your own spin? Mate, don't change it. Don't don't touch the dish because that is what it, they've been doing in Rome for so many years and it just leave it. You know, make it better maybe. Use better guanciale or use better eggs or make, you know, great pasta or pecorino that it's amazing but don't don't change it you know like it's 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 not up to us to do that when when did you first sort of um see chefing as a potential career uh, i think when um well funny enough you know i always say <laughs> i always make a joke and go oh you know all chefs want to become waiters one day so we can relax <laughs> they get the shits <laughs> but i was i was actually i was working in a bar with my uncle and my auntie. Um, I was brought up by them uh, during the school holidays because they got no kids. And um, my brother and I, you know, we used to go all through summer and work with them. They had the bar slash restaurant in the port in Olbia where the ferries come in. Busy place, as like so busy. And, you know, the school holidays in Italy go for like three months. It's a long break. And we used to just, you know, like, uh, live with them and go and work every day seven days a week we used to work and I'd maybe have a, you know a little break in the afternoon to go to the beach or something and for all those years since I was 14 I loved it so much and I went to school I was going to school and you know I was studying to be a draftsman which I absolutely I couldn't do it anymore like I got to like second last year and I said to my parents that's it. I'm done. <laughs> I'm not enjoying this. I don't want to become a draftsman. I want to work in hospitality, you know. And then I work in a couple of hotels in Sardinia, uh, some restaurants when I met Marilyn. And then, you know, when I came here, then I just, um, you know, just, you know, kept being a chef. But I started, you know, back when I was about 18 to start getting into kitchens. But before then, I was working in the bar. And, I, and, and it was great because it was a good base for me in terms of understanding hospitality and the key of hospitality and the and the you know the all those you know key elements that you need to understand no matter what you you know you work in you know it could be in a cafe in a restaurant in a bar i mean some of the principles are the same you know so i learned from my uncle because it was very tough working with him that you know um I learned so much, like, you know, things that you go, you know, when you work with someone and other sh- people that I work with, you always go, there's two ways that you can go, right? You go, okay, well, that I didn't like. Maybe I'm not going to use that one day With if I am in charge and, you know, i got staff working for me and I'm, you know, like a head chef. But then you go, okay, well, this is great, so I'm going to make sure that I'll do this. So you get the good and the bad and then, you know, you then – develop your own career and what you know what you want to do with it doesn't matter like i said what it is it could be something very small or something very large the principles are so important that's what i learned with my uncle you know and that was great for me back then you mentioned you met marilyn and then moved to australia was australia quite different to what you expected was it um tell us about when you first got here yeah i did i didn't know what to expect to be honest because you know, when you come from a 250-people village in the middle of Sardinia to Sydney, which, you know, that was my first very long trip on the plane, 
you know, I was 22. I wasn't even like, I had no idea what to expect. And, and I think I always said, you know, the first impact is the one that counts the most. And when I, when I came here, you know, when I went to stay with Marilyn's parents, they, I was like, already I felt like I was walking into my second family. And I think that's what I loved so much. They welcomed him. And I was just a friend then, you know, like we met, I came, I was a friend. And then, um, and that really, you know, I started on the right foot with Australia and I loved that so much. Like, you know, we did, for the first three years, we did a little bit of backs and forwards. Oh, I go back to Italy. Maybe we stayed there. We come here, you know, like you didn't know, like Italy was amazing back then. And, you know, people were making good money and now it's tougher. But back then was brilliant, you know. But I always used to get drawn back to Australia. You know, every time I went back to Sardinia, I missed Australia. I really wanted to come back. So, you know, it, it kept dragging me back. And, and it was it was great and I was learning English I was it was exciting for me it was new things that I was learning you know like uh, getting out of a like I said a small place and an island where you are you know I hadn't traveled at all um, it was just like great you know and, and you know Australia it's a you know as you know it's an incredible country you know I, I feel very old hearing that Pillow is nearly twenty years old. Um, that's I can I can remember when it first opened. It, but um, you and Marilyn have been like this amazing dynamic duo. You know, a real power couple of the food industry in Australia with incredible influence. H- how do you work together, and ha- what, what's what's the dynamic like? Look, you know, I, I think being in business and you know um, raising a family together it's not an easy task you know and a lot of people probably listening to this they'll you know they relate to it because you know you you bring always work home and you never break off you know you leave work and family 24 hours a day seven days a week and you can't get away from it you know so there is like really challenging moments sometimes but there is some incredible moments and you know the trust that you have in one another because obviously you are family and and then you know they translated to the way that we operate our restaurants you know the family run business and we are very much hands-on and you know and working together with Marilyn, it was just like such a good thing because we back one another up and then we created this incredible team that we have up here of freshwater and they embraced what we you know what we want to achieve and what we wanted and you know so yeah look not easy but great you know because Marilyn only came working um with me after she left ANSET because she was working for ANSET Australia yeah and then you know after we had a second child Sophia she was pregnant with Sophia you know ANSET you know um, went bust and then she decided to work you know uh, with me at the restaurant because then we took over Calaluna just the two of us from our previous uh, business partner Tony and that was great because you know I mean how how good you know I'm at, I'm at the back in the kitchen and Marilyn's at the front and then now you know Marilyn basically drives what we do from the office I mean there is five of them up there now in the office they are absolutely, you know, that is the force of what we do. And a lot of people probably don't see that, you know. You know, we always talk about what's behind the scenes, you know. How do you run a restaurant? Because, Anthony, the easiest thing to do in a restaurant is cook a great meal, right? 
you are creative, you are a great chef, you have amazing produce, you have a great team at the back, and you make good dish and you put it on the plate. Done. Beautiful. You can do that any day of the week. But then running the place, uh, that is what, you know, it's the most difficult thing to do. And that's why I think there has been situations where maybe the chefs that they are so great at what they do, but they couldn't have anyone to back them up to run the place. They struggled over the years. And that has been my blessing where, yeah, I can cook. I'm a chef. I've got great chefs working with me and, you know, I can share my passion and we do all that. But then what about running the place? All the important stuff that you got to do, what we, what we call, you know, back of house. That is what, you know, Marilyn has done. And I, and I always say this, and I mean it. I really mean it. Without Marilyn, I would not be here talking to you right now about my restaurant. I can put money on it. Mate, it, it's a given. That is what, you know, still I think people underestimate that what you see at the front and, and you know, in the dining room, it's a tiny small percentage of what is done at the back. And that's why people go, you know, oh, but, you know, when I hear people going, oh, I may open up a restaurant or a cafe, I'm sick of working in an office, and I'm just like, no, man, no, we don't do that because it's not, it's not as glamorous or as easy as you may think when you see me going around the tables saying, saying hi to the customers, you know, like, that, that, that is part of what I do, but the, the, the bulk of the work is at the back, and that is what people don't see and underestimate sometimes, I think. Tell us how um, Pillu came to fruition. Um, so basically, we were, by luck, we were very lucky because we were at Calaluna back then and uh, doing so well. I mean, Calaluna was always pumping. And um, this family came in one night for dinner, this Italian family, and they, they were the owners of um, Freshwater, the property, right? And they said, you know, I remember this, this still, I remember with the sitting that there was only one round table, table 11, and they sat and gone, oh, you know, you do a great job here, we love this little place, but this is not good enough for you, you need to come and have a look at something else. And it's like, I was nearly offended by them, you know, it's like, I actually love this place. Close twice a week, only eight staff, you know, making money. Um, <clears throat> and then, you know, we basically um, drove. We lived in Freshwater back then, and then we drove to Freshwater. And they said, you know, do you want to take that over and become business partners? And I said, no, man, I'd love to take it over. I mean, long story, but business partners, I say, I've got only one partner, that's Marilyn, um, and that's it. Otherwise, let's finish the coffee and see you later. And then, um, you know, yeah, it took a, quite a long time to negotiate. But in the end, yeah, we, we you know, we took over the, at least the two of us and it was brilliant. It was great. So that's, I mean, long story, but that's what, you know, in a nutshell, that's what it was. Pure luck. You know, this, these guys came in. The old um, previous owners, the lease ran out and they couldn't agree to renew it. And then they just, they were looking for tenants so that they heard about you know Calaluna and came and said you know come and take it over almost two decades is extraordinary for any restaurant of of any level but you've maintained like this incredible standard um for almost two decades with with lots of hurdles along the way what's been the real sort of um challenges and successes in those 20 years for you oh you know Anthony I mean I mean, challenges, 
you know, you cannot face challenges in whatever you do, like in, in, in the work, like in life in general anyway. But I think it's the way that you, you know, you, you, you approach the challenges and, and you, you know, you got to be prepared, you know, not to quit in a way and, and keep driving. And, you know, hard times make you, I think, make you stronger and better, you know, because if it was easy, then everyone would be doing it easy and, you know, it'd be, it'd be a walk in the park. But, you know, we went through, you know, 2008 when, when you know, recession came and it was, it was quiet, it was tough, it was, you know, really hard at the point of, like, breaking point almost, you know, like nearly closing the restaurant. Went through all that and then, you know, obviously COVID, you know, there was the big, probably the biggest challenge that we'll ever face in our lifetime, I reckon, with, with a restaurant. But again, you know, we learned, we got more resilient, we did things that we never thought we were going to do. And that was all, you know, given, because we had such a good team. And like I said, you know, Marilyn and I work as a team. And then, you know, we, all the guys that, that work with us, you know, they're just like family to us. And we, we, we're still there all together. And, you know, it's 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 about, and that's what, like one of the things that we always said is, the day that we don't enjoy doing what we do anymore, we it's the day that we give the kids back, right? So until then, you know, it's it's brilliant. Like you know, and and don't get me wrong, you know, like there, there is challenges all the time, but so many times, you know, that I go to work and I go, man, how lucky am I? You know, look where I work, Freshwater Beach. I never take one day for granted. You know, I have an amazing team, people that, you know, come here and love what we do and, you know, pleasing your customers and, you know, and, and that, you know, challenges that drive you. Challenges drive you, right? So that's what, you know, it's, it's, it's so great. Like, it's a great industry. Like, I really love it, you know. You mentioned the challenges of, of COVID. Sort of coming out of that, did you change things um, operationally or from a food sense for the better moving forward out of that? Um, we did We did make a few changes coming out of COVID, you know, like we, we had to kind of um, adjust a bit, you know, coming out of it to start with. And now one of the things that we did that we never used to do at Pillow was that, you know, like the food – some of the food that we're doing, it's a little bit more to share kind of thing. And we never used to do that, which people are really, really embraced, you know, so well. Um, because, you know, sharing food at the table, it's always so great. You know, it's like a home, right? And that was, and that was really good. We learned, you know, that and we implemented that. Um, yeah, I mean, t- we haven't changed drastically much what we do because peel of fresh water is peel of fresh water, right? That's why you come to our restaurant. Um, but we did learn, you know, some things that, you know, made us think and um, and then become even better, like I said, you know, because hard times are good for that kind of thing, you know. At the top of the show, we um, talked about your suckling pig dish and you, you mentioned sort of the how different the the meat can be sometimes and working with that what do you have any connections with farmers yeah funny you bring you brought this up now <laughs> uh man are we going through at the as you may know unfortunately melanda park had to close and there was a big a big blow for us when matt told me before christmas i said to him 
you're joking, <laughs> you're not closing your farm. I said, Matt, you're killing me. And he goes, yeah. And I, and I, look, I, I, I totally get it. For Look, for, you know, over 10 years, Matt and Sue, they've done an incredible job. But hey, two big floods, one bushfire, and these guys are gone. You know what? We can't do this anymore. I mean, farming, it's, you know, crazy. Like, it's incredible, you know? So now we are actually in the process of trying to find new suppliers, Um we're working with, um, you know, a couple of guys. I mean, Norm that I've known for a long time, you know, from Total Meats. He's got, um, he's called Meat Station, and he's got some pigs coming now from Forbes. Um, but we're trying also pigs from, you may know, you know David uh, Refalo? Yeah. So I've been speaking to David. Um, and then, which because you know what it is also? It's logistics, right? So getting into us once a week at the beginning of the week, and then you got to get the weight right, you know. And we use like when it's quiet, we use fifteen pigs. When it's busy, up to thirty. So it's a big yeah. Some of these small farms can't keep up with us because you know they can't produce all those pigs. So we're trying now to see if there is maybe a couple of different ones that we can get the pigs from, but then you start having the, you know, the little problem that the pigs are different. You know, remember when I said the cooking changes depending on where the pigs come from. There is another now farm that Mitch from uh, Great Meats, um, I've been speaking to him and said, oh, I got these guys from Queensland, you know, they can get you the pigs down um, on Tuesday and then, you know, and then we have to try them as well. I said, look, let's get one in, we cook it. Because until you cook it, you don't know how it's going to come up. They all look beautiful, white and all that, but then when you start cooking them. So now we are in the process of, you know, trying to get some pigs organized. And I really want to work with, you know, like small farms, you know, obviously if we can get free-range pigs, you know, that's so great. But it's not easy. It's not easy because these guys are small and they haven't got the facility. See, we met in Sue. It was amazing because they created this system that, they had the, you know, they picked up the pigs on Monday, selected them, took them to a small abattoir in the Oxbury, and then brought them to us on Wednesday morning. So, you know, they were fresh. They had their own uh, trucks. They were driving the truck. Um, so it was absolutely perfect. But these guys, some of these guys can't do that because they're far away, man. They're like central New South Wales. You know, they're like three, four, five-hour drive. They've got to get the pigs, take them to Cara, then bring them here. It's not, it's not easy. So we're trying to see if we can get around using some of our suppliers and then connect them with the farmer and then get them to us. So we, we're, we're in the, you know, it's a work in progress at the moment. Well, uh, you and Marilyn continue to um, make an incredible impact on the culinary landscape in Australia. What, what do you love about what you do? <laughs> Man, pleasing customers, it's the best feeling, you know? And yeah, and I know, and I, Please don't like we can't please everyone, unfortunately. But you know, um, we we are very happy with what we're doing, and we just keep keep going, you know, and keep striding. Like I said, the day that I'm not enjoying this anymore, you you'll um, you and I will be in Sardinia having a beer <laughs> on the beach. <laughs> but yeah, absolutely love it every day, and, and training the young chefs, you know, get so much out of it. I mean, the guys that came out of the pillow kitchen some of the guys are doing so well look at you know jason upper and mateo zamboni and all these guys they've been through mitch 
um, you know, Daniel Mullingan, all these guys that we're still, you know, good friends with, and they've done so well. And I'll, every now and then I look back and go, you know, wow, that's that's great, you know. Well, Giovanni, as always, it's an absolute pleasure catching up with you. We've loved having you on the Crackling to hear a few amazing yarns. Um, please keep in touch, and we'll catch up again soon. Definitely, uh, anytime, Anthony. Thanks for having me. This is the Crackling, a deep in the weeds production in partnership with Porkstar. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we catch up with some of Australia's best chefs and pork producers to discover what makes Australian pork so special.